Good evening. What, what, what's the... I know what it is in the UK, but how does it change? When does it go from afternoon to evening in the US? Oh, so, so we're still afternoon? For 10 more minutes. Good afternoon. <laughs> and happy Sabbath. Uh, um, it's good to see everybody here. Thank you so much for coming back. Um, I've, sometimes I like smaller groups because I just feel like you can connect more, you can see individual faces a bit more. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this evening's message, this afternoon's message. And um, I'm praying that we'll be blessed as we, as we go. Let's say a prayer and we'll begin. Dear Lord, as we look into your holy word, I'm praying that you will speak to us, that you will challenge us to come up higher, and that we will be drawn closer to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. Cleanse and forgive us of our sins. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, I'm not, really, I'm not usually a, a presentation guy, but um, it's good to use slides every now and again. Where are we going? Where are we going? We're going to explore some reasons why we drift in our Christian walk and how this affects our witness. And we're also going to explore ways to overcome these reasons and we're going to do this through the book of Esther. Esther. We know Esther. Um, and, and hopefully this is a familiar story so we won't have to go too much into all the details but we'll just unravel a few things as we go. Let's get, a, let's get an overview of the book. Who are the main characters? Okay, I mean, I didn't hear any of that, but it sounded like, it sounded good. So, so, so we, we, we had, you've got Esther, you've got Esther, you've got King Ahasuerus, 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 him, that's the king of the Medes and the Persians, you've got Queen Vashti, remember Queen Vashti, you've got Haman, you've got Mordecai, um, there's some, a couple of other people, we'll, we'll, we'll get there in a moment. Now, let's just make sure we're all together in terms of where we are in Bible prophecy. So do you remember Daniel chapter 2, where you've got that image with the head of Babylon, chest of arms of silver, I said head of Babylon, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, and then you know, you know it carries down legs of iron, etc, etc. Right now, we're no longer in Babylon. So Babylon's come, they've taken over Judah, and now a kingdom, another kingdom has come and taken over the Babylonians. It's the Medes and the Persians. Chest of silver. So in the timeline, that, that, that Daniel 2 timeline, we're in the chest of silver. That's where we are in our Daniel chapter 2 timeline. We're in the Medes and the Persians. You all know what I'm talking about when I say this, don't you? Yeah. So in 539 BC... Um, Babylon de were defeated by the Medes and the Persians. God's people were in captivity from about the year 605 to about 539 BC. And in 539 BC, Babylon's defeated by the Medes and the Persians. Um, and Cyrus, King Cyrus, in about 536 BC, and Darius in about 520 BC, um, gave some decrees giving God's people civil and religious liberty to re-establish their religion and rebuild the temple. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. 
Um, Andrew had fought in 480 BC. Um, Ahasuerus comes on the scene. So you got you got 536 BC Cyrus. You got 520 BC Darius. Um, they're giving they're giving civil and religious liberties to the children of Israel, to the to the Jews, to rebuild the city, rebuild Jerusalem. So they're given civil and religious liberty to do so. But in this story, Esther, the civil and religious liberties are removed, and a death decree is issued. Everyone's with me. Everyone's with me. And so in Daniel 8:20, this. Medes and Persians is actually represented as a ram, a male sheep that has two horns. And so you see that they're giving civil and religious liberties, but then you also see them issuing a death decree. So you're seeing some links. I'm trying not to build, get too much into different things, but those who get it, get it. And those who don't get it, just put it as a note to study. Right. Now, many people have said, with the book of Esther, that one of the major themes that come out is this thing called turnarounds. I call them turnarounds. Other people call them coincidences. But I like the word turnarounds. Um, Esther chapter 9, verse 1. Let's go there. We're going to be in... We're going to... Get your Bibles open to Esther because we're going to be in there. So just, just, just get there. So Esther chapter 9, verse 1. And you see something interesting here. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. You see this theme in the book of Esther of something supposed to be going one way and then it turns around and ends up going the other way. You see this time and time and time again throughout the book of Esther. Let's do some examples. What are these turnarounds? Um, Vashti goes from queen to concubine. Esther goes from orphan to queen. Then you've got Big Than and Teresh. They put a plot to kill the king. I don't remember. There's a little subplot in the book of Esther. There's a plot to kill the king, and then they end up getting killed themselves. And then you've got the reversals between Haman and Mordecai. Um, at the beginning, Haman's given a signet ring where he's got tremendous power, and by the end of the book, that ring is taken away from him. Haman seeks to exterminate all the Jews and finds himself begging a Jew for his life. Haman builds these gallows to hang Mordecai on and ends up being hung on them himself. Mordecai is sitting at the gate of things at the beginning of the book, but by the end, he's the prime minister. At one point, he's dressed in sackcloth, and another point, he's dressed in kingly robes. Um, even the non-Jews in the empire go through some type of conversion experience and many of them become Jews. You see this in the book of Esther. These turnarounds. These turnarounds. Um, what are the issues? What are the issues? There's many different names of different characters in the book of Esther, but only two have... Dot, 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 question mark. Let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Um, Esther chapter 2, verse 5. 
Esther chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 5. Thank you. I know that I speak quickly sometimes. So if I do speak quickly and you don't have a clue what I just said, just ask me to repeat and I will do so. Um, I'm, uh, yes, I'll do so. Pardon? We cover more ground. Yeah, we cover more ground if I'm, if I'm speaking quickly. Esther chapter 2, verse 5. Let's look at how the author of the book of Esther describes the person that's here. Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai. Now it could just say Mordecai. It could just say Mordecai. But it says Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Thank you, sir. A Benjamite. Okay. So here, when the author of the book of Esther talks about Mordecai, it gives you some of his family history as part of him speaking about Mordecai. All right. There's only two people in the book of Esther where it gives you a bit of their lineage. One is Mordecai, and there's one more individual where you see their lineage. The other person is in Esther chapter 3, Esther chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. Esther 3, verse 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus, I'm not sure how you say this, so I'm just going to say Ahasuerus from here on out. Oh, can we agree on that? I says, okay, yeah. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamidatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Okay. Only two people in the book of Esther have their lineage described as part of their introduction into the book. Are you with me? So there's something that the author is trying to highlight about these two people that he wants you, the reader, to know. He wants you to go back and check out what's going on with these people lineage-wise and how is that playing out in the book of Esther. Is everyone with me so far? All right. The Agagite kings were evil. The Agagite kings were evil. So, so, I'm just wondering, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 2, you've got Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. I'm just wondering if there was another time in the Bible where you see a Benjamite who's a son of Kish ever facing someone who's an Agagite. Yes. You, you, know who, you know who? Saul. Saul? You remember that, don't you? Saul. Saul. That king that he should have slow, um, slayed, slayed, slew, killed. <laughs> slain. slain. That king that he should have slain, but didn't do so. He didn't do so. Um, let's take a quick look at that, if you don't mind. 1 Samuel 9, verse 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Betorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and he had a son, so Kish had a son whose name was Saul. Name was Saul. 
Now Samuel said unto Saul, this is 1 Samuel 15 verse 1, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up, to, up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and, and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, they've got some ongoing drama between the Israelites and the Amalekites. Numbers 14, 45, Judges 6, Judges 7, Judges 10. There's just always a bit of back and forth between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And so their cup had, of iniquity was full and it was time for Saul to do what God was calling him to do. And so... 1 Samuel 15 verse 10, Saul doesn't do what God says. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, It repenteth me that I've set up Saul to be king, for he's turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord. So it carries on and basically Agag, the king of Amalek, who Saul should have killed, he doesn't kill him. And so Samuel goes and slays him, but evidently not all of Agag's descendants have been slain. And so hundreds of years later, a decision that Saul took, because he didn't follow the word of the Lord exactly, is playing out generations later. Generations. You see this controversy between um, the Israelites and, and between the Amalekites, and you thought it was put to dead. But generations later, the decisions that I took in my life today, even when I'm off the scene, are affecting my children tomorrow. And not just my children. If Jesus doesn't come back a hundred years from now, decisions I take today will have impact 200 years from now. And so what God says is, is that I need you to follow me exactly how I've laid out in scripture so that things will work for you, not against you, even when you can't see the end result from what I'm asking you to do right now. Does that make sense? Choices that you make for now are never just for now. They're for now and eternity. And eternity. In the book of Esther, there's a general lack of seek ye first the kingdom of God. Ezra, at the end of the Babylonian captivity, is calling the Jews, come back from Babylon and help rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. That's the call of the book of Ezra. That's the call. Less than 50,000 people of the hundreds of thousands of people returned. Esther's about 50 to 60 years after Ezra. You see what I'm saying? So now you're in the empire of Media and Persia. Um, but really, you should never be there. Really, you should be in Jerusalem helping to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Is everyone understanding what I'm saying? Where does Nehemiah sit in here? The book of Nehemiah. 
Let me come back to you. Let me, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just in full. I'm just in full. <laughs> Let me come back to you one second. Let me make this point and I'll come. So, so the Babylonians, the Babylonians have destroyed, have, you, know, you know when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he took away Daniel and, and, the, and the rest of the team and they've, they've ransacked everything and they've brought everything over to Babylon. Then now the Medes and the Persians have taken over, have taken over the empire. Now Ezra's come up on the scene at the end of the Babylonian empire and there's a call to come back and help rebuild Jerusalem. There are some people who just, I guess they were comfortable. They had the houses. Um, they had the jobs. Um, they were in a good school. Um, had a, let me not trip over whilst I'm preaching. Please forgive me, Arden. But they had the houses. You got what I'm saying? They had their jobs, they could go to the refrigerator, pull out what they needed to pull out, eat, get out Uber Eats, and the food would be there in five minutes. They were comfortable. Rebuilding the temple just sounds like long work. Sounds like sacrifice. Sounds like, I don't know, just sounds like it's out of my comfort zone, out of my comfortability sphere. And so there's a, just a general lack of seeking first the kingdom of God. Now you see this begin to play out. Watch this. Esther chapter 2, verse 10. This Bible text does not make any sense. Esther had not shewed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. Okay. So Esther, you're going to the palace. No one knows you're a Jew. That doesn't make any sense. You're at work for years and no one knows you're a Christian. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, Esther hid her religious identity in the workplace for about five years. Undercover. No one really knew what was going on. Um, she was just living her life, not opening her mouth too much, just trying to be a good person, but not saying anything. No one really knew much about her. No one knew what she stood for. No one knew where she stood on issues. No one knew who she was about. And everyone just thought she was one of the other people. She was blending in. She was blending in. She was blending in. Embracing who you are in Jesus Christ opens doors for you. Living in denial of who you are opens different doors for you. I'm hoping this makes sense as we go through. They're Christian, but it's nominal. It's neither here nor there. There's no strong convictions about anything. Kind of just going with the flow. The silent Christian. I'm learning in my own life and in my own experience that the quicker you embrace who you are in Jesus Christ, the quicker you can get on living your best life. If you're not yourself, who can you be? If you're not yourself, who can you be? Get this guy to come and preach with me. <laughs> you're supposed to be an ambassador. Second Corinthians 5 verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. That means everywhere you go, you're an ambassador. I grew up in a British home. 
But my grandparents emigrated from Jamaica. And even though I'm very British, I also recognize I have a Jamaican heritage. So in my house, you'll find things that you won't typically find in England. I might have some rice and peas, that's a Jamaican thing that we do. I might have some plantain, that's a Jamaican thing that we do. I might have some veggie, some, some vegan, some vegan some vegan curry type of thing. That's a, that's a Jamaican thing that we do. And, and the reason why I do it's part of who I am. And I share who I am with, with, with people around me. And so because I share who I am with people around me, as an ambassador, it's not something that I hide. It's something who I am. And I'm just learning and I'm realizing that who I am is more than simply the cultural aspects of me. But God has given me a spiritual lineage and a legacy that he wants me to embrace, to be the person he's called me to be, that I may live the life he's designed for me to live. We're going somewhere. Esther, she's hiding. Let's raise two issues. Esther chapter 2, verse 3. Now, you know that, that thing that they did. That thing that they did where the king gets all the virgins of the land. Um, you can read from verse 2. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in the provinces of his kingdom, in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shusha and the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Heji, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their, let their things for purification be given them. Okay, that's him saying, let's get all the virgins together. Let's get all the virgins together. Then, if you look at verse 12, when it was time for the beauty contest to take place. Now when every maid's turn was come to go into King Ahasuerus, after that she had been 12 months according to the manner of women, for so were the days of their purification accomplished, to which six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odours and with other things for the purifying of the women. Then thus came every maiden unto the king, whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. Listen very carefully. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned unto the second house of the women. She's left the house of the virgins, She's gone to see the king. She doesn't go back to the house of the virgins. She goes to the second house of the women. To the custody of Shaskaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. Folks, it was more than a beauty contest. Yeah. Esther, what are you doing there? Right. I thought you grew up in Pathfinders. <laughs> Esther, what are you doing there? I thought you went to Advent Hope. Esther, what are you doing there? What happened to the Sabbath school lessons that your mum used to teach you when you were younger? Esther, what's going on? Why in this moment of you're trying to get ahead with your career, all of a sudden you find yourself sacrificing principle because you're just, I guess, trying to get ahead in your career? Trying to be queen. What happened to seek ye first? See, they were already compromised on God's mission. 
God's mission was go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But they were seeking their own things. So now because, they have, so because they've compromised the mission, that's kind of put a damper on how they're expressing their Christian identity, their Jewish identity in the place that they're in. They've compromised the mission. Now they're compromising on principle. One thing leads to another. So she sacrificed principles. And I'm just wondering, what principles do we sacrifice to get ahead? She's unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Have mercy. The whole thing's a complete shambles. What she needs is to move from an in vitro experience to an in vivo experience. You know when they're testing medication and they go through different processes before it comes to market, you've got your in vitro tests and then it transitions after you've passed the in vitro testing to in vivo testing. In vitro is more like you're testing to see whether pharmacology works in a test tube or in a lab. And in vivo is when you're seeing it inside maybe the human person or sometimes you do animal testing. What, what, what Esther needed or what she was experiencing is that she's seen... I guess, a, a, a semblance of what God's about. She knew she was a Jew, but her experience was just something that was done outside. Um, it wasn't something she'd experienced on the inside. It was kind of test tubish. It was kind of, I don't know. She hadn't had an experiential relationship, an experimental relationship with Jesus Christ, which took her from nominal to this is something about who I am. I've tried it in my own life and experienced the change for myself. Amen. Let's compare and contrast Esther's time in the palace with Joseph's time in the palace. He's on the way. This is, this is Patriarchs and Prophets. I've got it on my phone. I, I don't know why it's not on here. This is Patriarchs and Prophets. I oh, didn't just look after that for me, please. This is Patriarchs and Prophets. Where are we at? Where are we at? Come to me, come to me, come to me. This is Patriarchs and Prophets. This is Patriarchs and Prophets, page 213, paragraph 3. He's on his way. He's just been sold to the Ishmaelites and he's on his way to Egypt. Then his thoughts turned to his father's God, describing Joseph. When I look at the story of Joseph and I look at it through my British eyes, what I think of is that Joseph stood the test of time. He stood alone, he was an individual. But when I look at it through my Jamaican heritage eyes, Joseph never forgot his family. He never forgot his family values. He never forgot his roots. He never forgot where he came from. And so the, 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 the of the Prophet says that his thoughts turned to his father's God. Um, don't forget your values that you had at home now that you're away from home. Sometimes when you come to university as students, you've just come to get away. 
Sometimes when you're working, sometimes the way things turn out at work, you might have done devotion in the morning, but just because you're at work, it's a different scenario, different place, and you can sometimes forget the things that God's called you. But don't forget the values that you had at home. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that is in thee also. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget that you're standing on a platform. Which is stronger, the, you, the, the workplace you or the home you? Which is stronger, the workplace you or the home you? This brother's preaching with me. So Genesis 39 verse 1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Okay, Joseph's employer could see that Joseph had a religious connection. It was evident. It wasn't hidden. It was visible. He wasn't hiding. They could see it. It was obvious. And there was such an obvious connection between his output at work and his spiritual connection with his Heavenly Father. Integrity. Integrity. And even more than integrity, the blessing that God puts on you when you get my words in, decide to remain faithful to him in your workplace, you'll be surprised what God can do for you. Amen. Joseph's employer could see he had a connection. He was not ashamed of the religion of his father and he made no effort to hide the fact that he was a worshipper of Jehovah. Esther, she wasn't showing the fact that she was a Jew. Joseph says, everybody's got to know who I am and where I stand. Amen. Amen. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. I remember um, I had my appraisal with my previous manager, Daniel Petty. And he was asking me, Sam, how have you remained? I've had this now. This, this conversation has come up with different managers. Sam, how have you remained just so calm, even though you haven't taken all your annual leave? You've just managed to just stay kind of even keel. I see a lot of people getting stressed out at work. What's going on? And he says, you know, well, I'm intentional about the Sabbath. Friday sunset, Saturday sunset, don't call me. (laughs) And when you're intentional about that, that I'm having, see, I'm getting in, I'm getting in 52 days of intentional rest that these other folk aren't getting in. So when you get that in, that does something for your system. Don't underestimate the spiritual, physical connection. I'm hoping you guys are with me. So don't be afraid to share your spirituality with others, including your, spirit, including your connection with God. Embrace who you are. The Lord made everything he did to prosper. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. Um, let's keep it moving. With Joseph... As he was prospering, and the Lord was making everything he did to prosper, he was letting his light shine before men, and they were seeing his good works, and they were glorifying his Father in heaven. Now, Joseph didn't sacrifice principle to get ahead. He got a job in the palace, um, and when his chance to become unequally yoked took place, he resisted it. 
He resisted it. He didn't sacrifice principle to get ahead, but he remained true to who he was. He didn't sacrifice principle to get ahead, but he remained true to who he was. And so he ended up in prison. Why is Joseph in prison? He's true to God. He didn't book on his principles. There's a person in management that wanted him to do certain things and he decided not to do it. And so they made his life a bit difficult at the workplace. In England, we call that work politics. Sometimes when work politics are going on or university politics are going on or just the general things aren't right going on, how I respond to that can deeply impact just the next direction and the next steps that I take in my life. So if I was Joseph, I could have said, I'm going to compromise because I don't want to be on the bad side of this political or this politics that's taking place. Or if I'm Joseph, I can recognize that with God with me, even though I might end up in what looks like a worse off position, with God with me, that doesn't make any sense. If God's with me, then even though it looks from man's sight like a worse off position, through heaven's eyes through heaven's eyes God's lifting me up despite work dramas maintain your Christian disposition and embrace the step principle alright here we go I'll, I'll do it I've got it yeah 100% which one do I knock this one right Many times, we wanted to know God's will for our life. And we think that God's will is like one of these lights up here. Where it lights up the whole street. But I'm realizing, as I've been growing in my Christian experience, that understanding God's will is less of an overhead light and more of one of these. And what God does is, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What God does is, is he gives you light for your next step. And as you step into that step, look what happened. I got enough light for my next step. And as I step into that step, look what happened. I get enough light for my next step. Sometimes I'm looking for God to do the whole thing up there, but that's not how it works, because sometimes you can't handle the whole journey. Look at Joseph. Imagine if Joseph knew he was going to Potiphar's house, then to prison. He may not, he may have recoiled from that, but God led him step by step. Do you remember Daniel? Imagine if Daniel thought about the lion's den. That was probably a bit too much. But God said, actually, just choose in this moment to eat the right things and don't eat the wrong things. And as he stepped into eating the right things and not eating the wrong things, God led him step by step by step. And God's looking to lead you step by step. And as you embrace your identity in Jesus Christ, he leads you into the future that he's called for you. Right, I can hit the lights now. Are we together so far? All right. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. (laughs) Compare and contrast Daniel, who also got a job in the palace. The book of Esther was named after Esther's Babylonian name. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, Hebrews 2, Esther 2, verse 7. The book of Daniel is named after Daniel's Hebrew name, not Belteshazzar, Daniel 1, verse 7. 
Esther is hiding her identity and her religious affiliation. Everybody knows what Daniel's on and who his God is. Esther spends a whole year on external beauty, focusing on what others can see. Daniel focuses on inner beauty, focusing on the internal and the eternal, and it's shone out in the external. Daniel 1.15, he's fairer and fatter in flesh. The devil heats things up. That's how he does things. And he gives them, you know, so the death decree is coming out. Esther 4 verse 8, also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was in Shushan to destroy them, to shew it unto Esther and to declare unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. The devil heats things up. Have you ever felt like you've compromised so much that there's no way out of the situation of your own creation? Esther's not revealed the fact that she's a Jew for years. Years. She's married. The king doesn't know. <laughs> but she's here now. She's going to choose. She hasn't been talking about religion up until now, and all of a sudden, she needs to bring this thing up. Have you ever felt like you've made certain compromises and the situation that you're in is now calling for you to stand for principle, but because you've made so much compromises, right now you feel as though, if I say this, it just won't make sense because it won't add up with what I've been living up until now. Do you see what I'm saying? Where you're like, I've flopped so much up until right now that even though this thing is probably not something I agree with, but because I've been doing things I don't really agree with up until now, I've been hiding. I haven't embraced my identity. I feel like I can't make a decision on this right now. The story of Esther is such an amazing and powerful story because God is not only the God of Daniel, he's also the God of Esther's. He's also the God of those who have compromised. He's also the God of those who have hidden their identity. And he says, if you step out in faith and take a decision to follow me through your compromising mess, I'll turn things around for you. Every moment is new. Sam Alfonso Walters, Oxford Street, Seventh-day Adventist Church, on the 14th day of October, 2000, Wensfield. I was um, baptized. Amen. There you go. That's Pastor Drew Drumville um, baptizing me as a, a young guy. And when I look at this guy here on the screen, I see a young boy, boy full of visions and dreams and ideas and places where he wants to go. He's been baptized. He's given his life to Jesus Christ. And if you'd have asked that guy on that day, he would have felt like he was ready for translation. But the reality is, some of the biggest sins, some of the biggest sins, some of the biggest sins I've committed have been since that day. And I wish I could say from that day till today that my life has been one of consistent growth, consistent growth, that there hasn't been any compromises, that there's never been any times where I haven't done the wrong thing, when there's never been any times when I haven't made the wrong decision. But the reality is, is that since the day till now, I've done some Esther type things. There have been some situations where I should have made the right decision and I took a wrong one. 
where I should have turned right and I took a left. But I'm so grateful that God is faithful. And I'm learning that sometimes the compromises that you have and that you've been in and that you put yourself in can feel like concrete is on top of you. But have you ever seen grass come up through concrete? It's not that the grass is stronger than the concrete, but it keeps reaching up. And the challenges that I've got for you this evening is that despite the situations that you find yourself in, if you keep reaching up to the God of the Bible, he'll break the concrete of compromise on your life. Step one, reach up to God in prayer. This is Esther, Esther 4 verse 16. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Sushan and fast ye for me. She decides to rebuild her connection. Rebuild her connection. Um, we won't go into all that. Step two, um, she says, also and my maidens, I also and my maidens will fast likewise. Step one, she reaches up. Step two, she reaches out. Here, I don't know, how do I get the, um, where's the thing? Where's the, yeah, yeah, there we go, there we go, there we go, there we go, there we go. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. What does that sound like? Reaching out. Sounds like a small group. Is that a small group? Yes. Sounds like a small group. Sounds like an individual thing going on. Fast G for me, there's prayer taking place. But here, I also and my maidens will fast likewise. Sounds like a small group. The small group starting this year, isn't there? Yes. I had about two people. The small group starting this year, isn't there? Yes. You heard the list this morning, didn't we? Step one, if we're going to talk about trying to be intentional in 2023, we've got to get a connection locked, our individual connection. But to go from drifting to driven, to start embracing your identity properly in Jesus Christ, is going to take some accountability. This is where small groups come in. And so, I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And then, she decides to purpose in her heart. So, I will go unto the king, um, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. And step four, you've got to leave the consequences with God. Leave the consequences with him. You think it's going to turn out shocking, but leave the consequences with it. If I don't do this, that I've been compromising in for so long, and I follow Jesus in this this respect now, I just feel like certain things are going to start breaking it apart. Leave the consequences with him. Leave the consequences. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. It's going to be okay. 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 Trust me, I know it's going to be okay. Sometimes when you've compromised for so long and there's the concrete of compromise over you and you decide to follow Jesus Christ, it can feel like, oh man, I don't know how things are going to work out. It's going to be okay. Leave the consequences with him. It may not turn out the way you want to, but in the view of eternity, it will turn out how it's supposed to. The results of embracing who you are in Christ. Esther 8 verse 17. Many of the Jews, many of the people of the land 
became Jews. You know, Melinda, the majority of people, I've done a little bit of homework because I've been speaking to people, in this city are not Seventh-day Adventists. They're not Seventh-day Adventists. There's a mission even here. There's people that Jesus Christ died for that are not in a relationship with him, even here. That need to make choices to follow Jesus Christ right across your street. And God's calling us to go deeper. God's calling us to do more. God's calling us to balance, but he's also calling us to be intentional. And so, if it's your desire to do more, to go deeper, to embrace your Seventh-day Adventist heritage identity, and to go forward, There's a couple of um, people in my church. I was telling Christian and Shalina this. I've stopped now. Once the laptop's closed, you know, we were done. And um, they've been coming to church for a while. And you know some people after church, they always shoot off at the end. See, I'm all, in my mind, when I attend church, I'm always looking out for visitors. Just to make sure I can connect just to make sure that I know where they're at, trying to gauge spirituality, those type of things. They're always shooting off after the service. So I've never been able to get in touch with them. Um, and in my mind, I can see that these guys, they can need some spiritual support. They can do with some Bible studies. They can do with a small group. They can do with something. But I've never been able to get them. And so anyway, um, one of the church ladies has set up a baby bank. Do you know what a baby bank is? So it's, a, a, it's like a... A warehouse for, not a warehouse is a strong term, it's a a storage for baby clothes that people who are struggling to clothe their children, they can come and get some support. Baby bank. So we've got one of those running at church at the moment. And so she puts the call out for people to come and help set things up. I've come, and one of the two ladies that have been the visitors, she's come. So I thought, okay, yeah, opportune moment. Opportune moment. She's been coming to church, but she always slips out. But she decides to serve in this capacity. So I'm doing the British thing. I've gone over, her, over to her. I'm just trying to, you know, do things properly, safely. Not give any wrong whatever. You know, you, know, you, know what you know what I'm talking about. But I'm trying to get through to what's the spiritual situation saying. One of the church aunties comes over. She's more direct than I am. What's going on with you? What's happening? Do you want Bible studies or what? <laughs> um... To which she responds, I mean, as soon as she says that, I look over to her face to see how she's going to respond to that. Um, she responded positively. She said, yeah, yeah. And she goes, I'm a friend also who I come with. Um, you know, she's not Adventist. She's got questions. And, and you know, she wants to know more. So we want Bible studies. Next thing, you know, numbers exchanged, Bible studies arranged. God's wondering if, is there someone across the street you could just ask the question? 
was telling Christian earlier today, I was in a taxi on the way home. And I was on the phone. You know when the person on the phone is, you know, they're not on loudspeaker, but they're talking so loud you can hear, you can hear the conversation. And the person says, Sam, you know, it, it's our, time, our turn to clean church. So anyway, I thought, no problem, put the phone down. The taxi driver asks, oh, which church do you go to? Now, for me, my antennas are up. <laughs> and everything in the conversation you've asked about church, okay, let's go on. So we're talking about church, and he then starts asking some questions about, um, you know, uh, who do you know and which church? And he starts saying some people that I know. I'm like, oh, okay, you, you sound... And then he goes, yeah, 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 this person from this particular church, that's my sister. I'm like, okay, so how come, what's going on with you in church? Oh, you know, I haven't been for a while and, you know... So I just turned to him and said, so what are you saying then? Are you saying you've given up on church? Are you, uh, uh, what are you saying about a relationship with Jesus Christ? He starts laughing. I said, don't laugh it off. How do you know I haven't been in this taxi? Um, I don't know why or what got into me. How do you know we're not in this taxi today and God hasn't placed me here because he wants me to speak to you and ask you about your specific relationship with Jesus Christ? He starts listening. Anyway, I've done what I could. I've left the taxi. A few weeks later, same taxi driver. I'm speaking to him. He's having Bible studies. Just ask the question. Just ask the question. A lady came into my home church earlier this year, or 2022. She walked in off the street. I'm speaking to her. She's her first day in church. I'm saying, you know, where you come from? She says, I want to be baptized. Um, you don't know what God's doing in people's lives. To the people that are across the street, to your neighbor. You don't know what God's doing in Loma Linda. He's got more for you than you can ever imagine. Just embrace who you are. Don't be afraid to share your spirituality. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who I am. If it's your desire to embrace your spiritual identity, and I let that be shown to others. Everywhere I go, people know I'm British, and everywhere I go, people know my heritage is Jamaican. And everywhere I go, people know that Sam Walters is a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Amen. Raise your hands if that's your desire. Lord, I want to embrace my spiritual identity in you. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, more important than cultural things is our identity in Jesus Christ. May that be something that we share And as you're working in people's lives, dear Lord, may people's lives be transformed because we were willing to be used by you. May that be our experience. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.